so welcome back to Lessons Learned. I am Laura Winter, sports broadcaster, podcaster, host and journalist, and I am so excited to be bringing you another season of my podcast. We are about to delve into the minds of brilliant sports people once again to discover the pinnacle moments that have shaped their professional and personal lives and the lessons they have learned along the way. Perhaps lessons we could all take some comfort and inspiration from too. Lessons Learned is now out weekly, dropping every Monday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. So today I am about to speak to Olympic champion cyclist turned commentator, pundit and mum, Danny Rowe, about the five key lessons she has learned from a hugely successful career on the track, on the road and now in the commentary box. We are recording at the start of 2021, so unfortunately, like last year, due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, Danny and I spoke virtually after baby Ted's bedtime, but we've smoothed the audio out as much as possible for you. Enjoy. My guest today is London 2012 Olympic champion and three-time world champion cyclist Danny Rowe. Danny excelled on the bike from a young age after she skipped a maths lesson and was picked to join the British cycling talent team in 2005. Her career began on the track and she went on to win three world titles and Olympic gold in the team pursuit before turning her attention to the road, picking up podiums at prestigious stage races like the Tour de Yorkshire and the Women's Tour. She also won Commonwealth bronze in 2018 on the Gold Coast before retiring at the end of that season. She is now a coach, a commentator, a pundit and a mum. Danny, welcome along. How are you? Thanks. I'm really good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to speak to you because so much has changed for you over the last like, 12 months. I mean, for all of us, but for you, especially over the last kind of 12 months or so, life just must be completely bonkers. So how is life treating you? And not just as a mum, but also as a mum in a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really good. Thank you. Um, so I have a six month old baby boy um, called Ted now. Um, yeah, it's been, it has been amazing, but very strange in this pandemic. Um, so I found out I was pregnant in January of last year, and then we obviously went into lockdown in the March. So I feel like I've spent my whole kind of, I guess, lead up to uh, being a mum and being a mum in, in a pandemic. But just trying to look at the positives of it. For myself and Matt, my husband, we've had so much time and so much quality time with him. And I think that wouldn't have happened if we weren't in the pandemic. So obviously I didn't want it, you know, no one wants this to have happened. But I think for us, it's actually meant that we've had so much time with him and I've had Matt around. He's been working from home. So I've had a lot more support um, from him. Um, and I gave birth in September and that was probably, if I could have picked a time of the year within the pandemic, it was probably the best time because the rules were slightly relaxed. My parents could come up um, to stay and meet him. Um, so yeah, it has been very, very different from, from being an athlete um, turning turn to a mum now, but I absolutely love it. And yeah, no regrets. Yeah, I think it's so nice though that individuals can find comfort and silver linings over the last 12 months so I don't think you should feel guilty at all for being glad that your parents could see you you know as you gave birth to their grandchild I think that's a really magical thing so I'm so pleased to see you doing so well and I was trying to think in my head when the last time was we saw each other and I actually don't know um and I, I hope it wasn't the end of 2018 but I don't I don't think it no we saw each other at 2019 world champs well, at Yorkshire. Yorkshire we were both drinking <laughs> <laughs> I remember. We were, well, definitely wasn't pregnant then, just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, yeah, it was. And we had a great time. I had 2019 was a mental year for me. It was like a year. I always knew that I wanted to be a mum, but I always knew that I wanted time between being a cyclist and being a mum to just go wild and tick off everything that I hadn't done. Um, or that I could have done when I was a cyclist. So I went skiing, I went on a lot of holidays, I went to Ibiza, 
Um, and yeah, I did a lot of drinking as well. So um, no, Yorkshire was a, a really fun week for me. So yeah, I think that was the last time I saw you. So. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And I remember speaking to you just after you'd retired as well. Um, and I'm actually going to read part of your retirement statement because I think it more aptly sums up like how much you've achieved in your career than I think I ever could. So you wrote... To have been multiple national champion, multiple European champion, Commonwealth Games medalist, three-time world champion, and to win gold in my Olympic gold in my home country is more than I ever could have dreamed of. I feel privileged to be able to finish my professional cycling career on my own terms and in a great place mentally with the sport. I'm an achiever and I'm driven through hitting and improving on targets I set myself. After winning a medal in the Commonwealth Games, I have won a major medal in all I can in cycling and it's now time to enter the next chapter of my life. Like, just extra what an extraordinary career you had to be able to walk away and say, I've ticked every box. Yeah, and it was something that, you know, I dreamt of when I was a young girl. I was, I just absolutely loved sport and I looked up to Olympians and world champions and that's all I wanted. I said, when I was young, I said, I just want to be world Olympic champion. I hadn't even got on a bike then. I didn't know what sport, you know, I absolutely loved. I was a swimmer and runner before I started cycling. Um, but yeah, going back to that statement, it's, yeah, it's really true. I just feel, felt really privileged at the time to go out on a high, loving the sport um, and on my own terms. And I think that was really important for me and my mental health. I had so many ups and downs through the sport um mentally as well as physically I guess through um results but it was important for me to still love the sport not hate the sight of a of a bike um and go out when I wanted to as opposed to when I couldn't get a contract or I was yeah not good enough to to make a, a national team um but yeah just look back with such amazing memories um obviously it was such an up and down journey and don't get me wrong i had the lowest lows but also the highest highs and i think that's what comes with professional sport essentially um but yeah it was in an incredible journey i remember speaking to you actually just after you'd retired i think we did a, an interview uh, and i do remember you welling up uh, and getting teary when you were talking about your career and kind of I think even though you knew you were in the completely the right place mentally to do so it's still this enormous weight I suppose that lifts when you actually say it I'm going to retire from the sport I love yeah I remember speaking to you actually um, and getting upset because it's it is such a journey and it's such a huge part or was such a huge part of my life um so it was scary for me to actually announce, although I knew, had known for a number of months before I announced my retirement that I was going to retire, I think until I actually announced it to, to the world or, or to the public, it kind of wasn't real. And I, I felt like I could go back on that decision, I guess. But it was absolutely, absolutely the right one. Um, but again, I guess at the time it's, it's scary and it takes quite a lot of bravery, I think, to step away from from a sport, uh, especially when it was all I'd known since I was 14, really. That's when I started cycling and, and that's when, you know, it, it just took over my life. Um, so it was, yeah, about, I, I was so 2018, I retired. So I was 28, nearly 29 in the November. Um, so yeah, a, a long time. Well, cycling's world loss was the media world's gain because you then stepped into a commentary box and you're an absolute natural at it. Are you loving it? Yeah, I do. Oh, thanks. Very kind. Um, I really, really enjoy it. It's great to still be part of the sport. I absolutely, I'm so passionate about women's cycling and it's just amazing that there is so much more coverage now. Um, so to be able to commentate on, on the coverage that we have got for, for women cycling is just, yeah, it's amazing. I, I know the peloton pretty well, so I can um, call out quite a lot of the riders, which is obviously good. Um, yeah, I absolutely love it. Again, it's nice as well to have something else to focus on as well as just being a mum. That's important for me. Um, I don't think I could have just um, done nothing else. Uh, apart from obviously being a mum it's I think it's quite healthy for me to have that focus and, and something else to um, 
yeah to do essentially so yeah no it's, it's good and I also get that buzz I think that I got from cycling it's that sort of adrenaline rush that you are live on tv and yeah okay it's only my voice but it's that sort of quick quick paced um oh, I don't know what the word is so I guess it's yeah some a focus that you have to deliver um at a specific time so yeah it, it's great you've got to perform haven't you that's the thing and people always ask me what's the you know the best thing about your job and I'm like oh my god it's the buzz of live television there's nothing like it for me and it is that adrenaline that you can I guess see in other you know in sport and in I guess big business as well it's that moment on the edge of your comfort zone where it could all go horribly wrong but it could also go so right that it's that's the kind of addictive bit yeah um yeah you hit the nail on the head there and I'm and whenever I finish commentating, I don't know about you or with live TV or commentary for yourself, I almost feel like shaky, like I did after the bike. Like I need to calm down. Like it's, if there were any races that were, you know, late in the evening, I don't think I'd sleep because you definitely do get that, that adrenaline buzz and that, that rush and I almost feel exhausted after because you're so focused on it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's filling that hole, I guess, that I've lost from from cycling and it is cycling so it's nice to still be um still be in the game still be in the sport it's the perfect replacement and you're right I get it as well the com- it's almost like you're riding this wave as you're live and then as soon as the camera goes off and you're off air and they say oh, thanks very much see you having a good you know safe drive home it's like this this sort of crash like, almost oh. And I find I can't speak to people normally because I've been so used to speaking on air that when I go to talk to somebody normally, I can't get my words out. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm the same. But yeah, I really, really enjoy it. And there's lots of great, lots of races this year, lots of women cycling. So um, yeah, it's it's a privilege to be able to, to do it. Okay, thank you, Danny. Let's move on then to um, your five lessons you've learned. And you've chosen lessons rather than moments. And it's really interesting because a lot of my guests choose one or the other. So they'll choose either like, you know, winning gold or um, becoming a mum or becoming a parent, or some will actually look at it more overall and choose lessons they've learned. And I really enjoy the different ways that my guests take it. Um, and some of your lessons are so interesting. One in particular, I'm really intrigued to hear it more about we'll start off though with your first one which is enjoy the moment yeah definitely um I think your career just goes in a flash and when you're in it you don't really appreciate how quick it does go so I think it's just so important to really take in those moments of you know pure joy when you when you are successful I remember so my dad was actually um, a two-time winter Olympian in the sport of biathlon. And he was great for me, you know, growing up in the sport to try and, um, yeah, I guess teach me to really enjoy the journey and take take on the moments and really try and um, enjoy them. And I remember him saying, you know, for, at the Olympics, obviously one, once we had one gold on the podium, just really take it in because this is such an incredible moment that it's going to go so quickly. And I remember standing on the podium at the Olympics and singing the national anthem. And I was just like looking around and thinking in my head, take this in, take this in, take this in, because it goes so quick. And then it's gone. That moment's gone. And it's never, ever going to come back again. And just trying to soak it up all the, yeah, all those amazing moments. And unfortunately, I don't have a great memory. So it's really sad that, I don't really remember, you know, key moments that that well. But at the time, I just really tried to to enjoy them and, and really take it in because it's just so important to do that. I think especially, you know, now in this pandemic as well, you just don't know what's around the corner. Um, and it's so important. Matt's, Matt's really good with that as well. My husband um, about enjoying the moment. I sometimes get, you know, a bit stressed out and, uptight with things I guess and he just says you know you just don't know what's around the corner you know look how lucky we are and I totally totally agree I think it's just important to um get some perspective sometimes and and then yeah enjoy the moment that that you're in at at the time today for example has been such a nice sunny day and we took Ted to the park and it's just the simple things it doesn't even have to be the big moments either Uh, but that's something I've definitely learned 
through the sport to yeah enjoy the moment are there moments looking back at your career certainly I guess the early days kind of the 2010 2011 even 2012 as well as big as that Olympic moment was where you regret not spending more time wallow not wallowing bathing in your success and then feeling like god we've absolutely smashed it today didn't we do well because so much of elite sport is about okay job done gold medal won world record done we move on to the next yeah and I think British cycling was terrible with that really terrible we didn't enjoy the moment enough at all looking back and it was such a shame because we did do so so well but it was always about the next thing um you know we almost crossed the line and we were talking about the next goal and looking back I think actually yeah we should have really celebrated those those moments at the time but then it's a really tough one because at the same time you think would we have been as successful if we had done that you know if we had spent too long celebrating you know the last goal is it actually that that made us so successful because we did move on and we, we tried to improve every single time we didn't become complacent and think we are smashing this let's just you know love this moment and spend weeks celebrating we actually just said okay that's great we'll enjoy it for one night <laughs> and then tomorrow we're looking on we're looking you know at the next goal or or the next race but yeah personally I think looking back we should have spent more time really enjoying and celebrating the success that we had more than we did that kind of moves us on into your into your second lesson as well we'll go back just to the first about enjoying the moment I think that's something that so many people I speak to be it on this podcast or be it friends or family have all said to me after the last year that in stripping back so much richness within our lives so that we just have the simple stuff left you know the kind of do you have a roof over your head do you have food do you have an income do you have friends and family are they healthy are you healthy that's enough we have learned to really appreciate the simple things so much more is that something that you found as well and you've learned more to enjoy the moment while kind of everything around us was so out of control yeah absolutely and I was quite a simple person anyway I don't you know, I, I'd happily, you know, having a cup of tea in bed in the morning. I absolutely love that. It's one of my favourite things to do. And I think it's just such a simple, some, such a simple thing, but it makes me so happy. Um, but it's also about, I think, in sport, enjoying the process. You know, we're looking at this last final goal so much. And for the Olympics, that was a three minute, 15 second bike ride. But it took four years to get there. And if you're not enjoying that process up to it, you could win gold and yeah, it's going to be incredible, but actually that's four years of potential misery if you don't enjoy the journey along the way. So that's something that I definitely learned, um, you know, probably more in my last few years of my career, you know, to, to really love the relationships that you have with your teammates or, um, you know, have fun as well. You know, it's so intense. Um, and they're, they're really, you know, they're really tough times, whether it be with selection or, you know, injury or setbacks that, you know, just try and enjoy the whole thing as much as possible because it goes so quickly. And again, like I said, it's such a short race, you know, at the end of it, especially on the track, you don't get that many opportunities to race uh, within the year. If you're not enjoying the process, then it's just not worth doing because you're only ever going to look back at, yeah, it's something that you didn't enjoy. It's too hard to, to not enjoy. So um, yeah, I definitely learned that along the way as well. It's funny to draw parallels between between my guests I have on here because I remember Hugo Monnier saying to me that um, it took him seven seconds to score a try for the Lions and he'd worked 13 years for seven seconds and they were the best seven seconds of his career. And it's true, isn't it, that all of this time is spent behind the scenes for those minutes seconds in the light on the biggest world stage of all and you've got to make them count and I suppose actually enjoying that moment and realizing exactly the implication and the significance of it is something you almost only do when you look back yeah I totally agree because you know I'm saying all this now but I was so intense and I you know I didn't leave any stone unturned and I don't think it means that you don't have to be professional 
um, and, and do what I did. But I think there, there were times when maybe I could have not put so much pressure on myself um, at, at, at times. Um, and again, just to really embrace the good times, you know, the fun training sessions or the banter in, in the gym or, you know, things like that. Because like you say, that seven seconds or for us, that three minutes, you know, it's such a long time and such a long process to, to get to that moment that, you know, you've got to enjoy the journey as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, obviously, you now coach as well. Um, and enjoy the moment and celebrate the, the successes are your two key life lessons, the first two we've talked about. Are they something that you now pass on to your athletes to say, not don't make the same mistakes I did, but just to say, make the most of this, you know, you've just ticked off a goal here, let's take a moment to actually let that sink in, celebrate it, and and just really feel it. Because you know what it's like when you just move on so quickly yeah definitely and I think you know we coach such a wide variety of um of athletes you know from people wanting to ride their first sportif to you know people in the world tour peloton that are trying to be olympic champion or, or world champion and I think whatever stage you're at if you're you know if you're reaching that goal or if you've um completed that goal you have to celebrate it because you know the work that you've put in is you know is it's the same you know whether you're completing a sportif or um winning a world tour you're still potentially working as hard it's just relative to I guess the, the power that you're putting out or you know whatever it might be um so yeah of course we um definitely try and um yeah celebrate the the successes of of our athletes that we coach it's it's so so important yeah, absolutely and are there little things in your life now that you celebrate as successes whether that's in your personal life and I think at the moment in lockdown and certainly being a mum it might be I put the dishwasher on or, or like I've, I've hoovered the house or I've got dressed today. I got dressed. Yeah. <laughs> or we actually got down the park you know it can be as little as that now do you kind of find yourself I suppose the standards of your life somewhat slipping um, because <laughs> life's become so much more simple and actually yeah we can't ask too much of ourselves especially through the last 12 months yeah no definitely but it's funny me and Matt actually spoke a few days ago about um, I can't even remember what it was oh, I don't know if it's like pancake day or or what but with Ted as well, I think it's so important to find anything to celebrate. And I think we're going to try and do that for him when he's growing up. You know, there's not that many days that you can really, really celebrate. So why not make a big deal out of everything, whether it's, you know, birthdays, Easter, Pancake Day, Christmas, just go for it. Because, uh, you know, try and make as much happiness and joy out of, out of life, especially at the moment, you know, it's this bloody pandemic is it's horrible and it's been going on for way too long for my liking we've had so many birthdays in the family now in um in lockdown and it's just such a shame so I think especially when we come out of it a lot of people will yeah appreciate the simple things but also celebrate things a lot more um, Go big. because we'll just appreciate it so much more now won't we <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Even my mum is like, right, as soon as this is over, we're having one massive party to celebrate yeah. all the things we've missed. I'm like, all right, mum, calm down. <laughs> um, your third lesson is one that really interests me because I, I, this resonates with me quite a lot. I see quite a lot of myself and what you say here. And that is you had to learn not to let desire get the better of you. And that it was actually Shane Sutton who said to you, you want this too badly. And I find that really interesting because I think I can probably, I'm probably quite guilty of that as well. And so I'm really intrigued to hear what you've learned from that. This is a really hard one because I found it really hard to get my head around when Shane said that to me. Um, I remember it so well and he just said, you want this too much, Danny, your desire is going to kill you. And I thought, how can I want it too much? Like, like I do, I want it a lot. I, I, it was everything to me. But how is that a negative? Because surely that's going to make me, you know, so successful because I'm, you know, so so driven and so passionate about what I'm doing. But I, looking back, I do understand what and why he said that to me because it was just all so consuming. And I think 
it's important sometimes to, I guess, have that perspective. And I remember Shane, um, sorry, Dr. Steve Peters, psychologist, Steve Peters, I work with him a lot and he really, really helped me. He's such a fantastic man, psychologist, such a clever, clever, clever guy. Um, and he just said, you know, if I was getting stressed out, you're riding a bike around a wooden bowl. And I was like, oh yeah, that's so true. You know, no one actually really cares what you're doing. And it sounds, it sounds really, I don't know, it's, it's a shame to, to say that, but actually that is what we were doing. And I think sometimes I was so obsessed with it that actually that wasn't doing me or my performance any good because it was stressing me out so much that I had to do everything right. And if I didn't do everything spot on right, then... Um, I wasn't going to make the team or selection or, you know, I remember on my rest days, I wouldn't even like walk down the road, you know, because I was convinced that if I was walking and my other teammates were, um, you know, the selection or something. And then I went in on Monday to a track session and for whatever reason had a bad session. It was because I would, I walked down to the cafe. And um, again, I think, it's hard because British cycling almost made you think that way. So to then say to me that my desire was going to kill me is, I was, I think, I guess a little bit unfair because I think they, you know, they almost, yeah, it's hard to explain. It was probably a result of them that I actually did think like that. It was, it was so intense and, you know, with all the marginal gains. And I do think that's why they were so successful. And they're such a, you know, successful organisation um, and were so supportive. And again, I'm not bad-mouthing them at all because they did so much for me in my career. But at the same time with the psychological, I guess, part of the sport and saying that my desire was going to kill me, that I wanted it too much... Um, I felt that, you know, it was almost then that made me made me think like that. But I do now, looking back, know what they meant. And um, I think it's, yeah, I, I just, I wanted it so much. And I think sometimes that actually got the better of me um, and meant that I maybe didn't perform at my best at all times. Yeah, I completely understand this. I totally get it. Um, and I think it's something that I have probably suffered from, suffered's quite a strong word for it, but something I've definitely felt, whether it's through, God, swimming as a kid or exams at school, or just even my career now, just wanting to be perfect and wanting wanting it so much. And actually it is probably to your detriment. And you know, for me, it wasn't until actually last summer where coronavirus had wiped my diary I couldn't really work. I could only kind of do bits and bobs from home. And I just thought it's been taken from me. My worst fear of not working and not, you know, furthering my career has happened. And so I'm just going to not do the bare minimum, but just sit back and take my foot off the gas and just actually enjoy life for what it is. And it wasn't until I did that that I realized how intensely I'd been living previously. So I completely understand where you're coming from with that and, and how detrimental it can be. And you only kind of realize, like you say, once you actually come out of that environment and go, my God, my brain was constantly on, even when I was meant to be resting. Can you think back to kind of periods or moments or, you know, even years or competitions where you really felt mentally that it got the better of you? Yeah, I do. I remember before the World Cup in London, London World Cup at the beginning of 2012, I didn't get selected for the first round. I remember in the lead up to it, I was really, really down. I knew I wasn't performing that well and I was worried that I wasn't going to get selected and I didn't end up getting selected for that first round. And I think like you were saying then, I just was just overthinking everything. I couldn't switch off. Um, and, and I really was just in this spiral of, um, I guess, could call it depression. I think that was the only time in my career that I would have said, yeah, I probably did suffer a bit with depression. And I remember I couldn't even concentrate on things. And I think that's what made me realize that I was really down at the time. I remember 
I'd watch the telly and I couldn't even take in what was going on in the telly. On the telly, I'd sleep all the time. And again, I was just, I was, I was there, but I wasn't quite there uh, mentally. And it was, yeah, London World Cup. I didn't get selected for the first round. And I was there, I had to warm up with the girls. And it's so hard to do that when you're not in the team and you've still got to go through the process. It's just, you've got to find some strength you know, from from within to, to be able to do that when that's all you want to be doing yourself. But anyway, I ended up being I ended up being put in for the final. So for whatever reason, the the three girls that was Laura, Joe, and Wendy who were in the first round, um, the first round didn't go perfectly. So I got the opportunity to ride the final, and um, I rode the final and that was our first world record of the six consecutive world records then leading up to the Olympics and the Olympic final. And it was weird because I rode that race and we we broke the world record and we did a really good ride. And it was like there was a light bulb switch in my head from being really down and really depressed, overthinking everything to being on cloud nine and having no worries. And then from then on, it was like my performances got better. I was enjoying myself. I was happy. And it's just, it's a bit scary that that one ride could have just totally turned my, my psyche. Um, but it did. And I think that's all I needed. And that gave me the confidence in my own ability to back myself, right? Matt used to say, you just got to back yourself. That was the one thing he used to say, because I didn't really have that, I wasn't that confident. I might've come across it to everyone else, but inside I was never super confident in, in my own ability. And I think that I could have probably been more successful if I was, but that was just who I am. Um, and he used to say, now you've got to back yourself. And I thought, actually yeah I do need to back myself and then leading up to the games that's what I did and I was in all the rides then so the next five rides and we broke the world record so the Australia World Championships we broke two there um, and then the three rides in the Olympics. Yeah it's extraordinary looking back actually on on that that year I suppose. Would you say just listening to you talk there that you're a perfectionist or that you have a strong critical voice sometimes can overpower you yeah 100% and I'm I'm doing the same being a mum and it's it's not great it's it's like it's almost like my best and worst trait you know it's I it's what it not what makes me who I am but it also drives me crazy because I can I know what I'm doing as well I think you know I'm really interested in psychology I studied psychology in A levels and I'm I feel like I'm you know, the best person to give advice apart from giving advice to myself. Um, Matt always says, oh, if you could just take the advice you give to other people, then you'd be fine, but I just can't do it. Um, so yeah, it's, I think I just can't, I'm not going to change it. I think that's, that's who I am. I am a perfectionist. I try and do the best I can in whatever it is that I'm setting my mind to at the time, whether it's commentary or riding a bike or being a mum. But yeah, it's, it's not always the best. I'm sitting here nodding away because I can <laughs> resonate so much with what you're saying, uh, honestly. And it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it, really? Because yeah. you, you know that it's what makes you who you are and it what it's what makes you good at what you do. But you also know that it's bloody exhausting <laughs> to constantly be in your head or to be thinking, oh, I could have done that a bit better or God, I stumbled over that word then. And, you know, and this leads us on very nicely to your next lesson, which again is from Steve Peters, who we've already spoken about as being quite a key pinnacle figure in your life and he used to tell you 90% of things we worry about don't happen so I suppose in other words don't sweat the small stuff yeah and control the controllables so instead of you know leading up to the games for example the Olympic final you know instead of worrying about oh what if we win what if we lose how will my life change what if we crash what if I have a bad ride instead of thinking about things like that Think about the things you can control, the technicalities of the bike ride, the start, getting close to the wheel in front of you, um, you know, perfecting your changes, your pedaling technique. That's what's going to actually win you this bike race, not, you know, asking yourself how my life is going to change if we win Olympic gold. 
and it's something that I've tried to take throughout my um, yeah throughout my life really to try and again I'm saying this now like I you know I, I do this all the time but I don't and I, I have to always come back and remind myself of it or, or need reminding of it from whether it be my parents or Matt or, or whoever but just to try and control what you can control because like you just said nine something like 90% of the things we worry about don't even happen so think about all that energy that wasted negative energy that you are using up worrying about things that don't even happen you know so yeah it's something that's really stuck with me and something that I really try and um, learn by because I think it's just so powerful um, you know when you're worrying about something thinking you know why am I worrying about this because ultimately if it happens or not and I think that's important as well the 10% of things that you worry about that do happen you're going to deal with and that was something he used to say you'll deal with it anyway you know okay if you do crash okay you crash well you're going to deal with it you're going to recover from the crash and get on with it and um yeah it's yeah something I've learned and something that I yeah I appreciate Steve a lot I think he's not only helped in my cycling career but helped me um as a person as well yeah absolutely and there's there's another saying which is something like um don't waste five minutes thinking about something that won't matter in five years as in stop worrying about all the little things that ultimately really won't matter in five days, let alone five years, you know, kind of, yeah, worry about the things or, or adapt and change and try and solve the things that need worrying about, but the small stuff, just let it go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're not, you know, trying your best at something or, or you that you don't care. It's just that, you know, hopefully you're trying to free yourself of the the worry and the anxiety um, about things that might not or probably won't even uh, won't even happen. Um, yeah, it's, you know, like crashing at the Olympics. Did it happen? No. Did I worry about it? Probably, yeah. <laughs> so that was something that I, I didn't have to worry about um, at the time. Just try and control what you can control. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because you said earlier that you know you're a perfectionist and you have a critical voice and, and you worry about things that, you know, you shouldn't really worry about. But and you said, I won't change. This is who I am as a person. But actually, I think you're very aware, though, aren't you? You're, you have a self-awareness of of what you're like and why you do what you do. And that's you're almost halfway there to changing then, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And I think that is what where I do help myself. So even if I do get myself into a bit of a, a tears, I can get myself out of it quite quickly because I, I can appreciate what I'm thinking and how I'm thinking. And I can turn that around then quite quick uh, because I have learned from it in the past. So yeah, you're right. I, I have changed, I guess, um, or I can change quite quickly when I can hear myself you know, being that perfectionist or, or worrying too much. Yeah, my friends and I call it plugging the holes. So if we feel like we're kind of like spiraling down a hole, we're like, quick, plug it with something. It could be anything, sunshine, wine, coffee, dogs, <laughs> plug it with something. And if it doesn't work, it. cry and then go again. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Do whatever you need. Do um... Exactly. Um, again, all of these link really nicely together. Your last one is about resilience. Um, and resilience, obviously, is the ability to bounce back, to spring back to um, physical, mental health. Um, and actually, it's about toughness, but it's kind of about acknowledging as well why you need to be tough and acknowledging, of course, that there's also a problem in the first place. And you've had your fair share of ups and downs, as you said at the start, um, and your fair share of knockbacks, of crashes and of real crushing lows as well. Yeah, um, a lot actually. Um, so whether it be going back to the start of my career, um, I was on the talent team. So yeah, British Cycling for anyone that doesn't know has a pyramid system where you know you start on the talent team and ultimately you're trying to get yourself onto the the top tier, which is the the podium program, which is ultimately where you get selected for the Olympics. So it goes talent team, uh, Olympic development program, academy, podium. And um, so I got myself, well, I got onto the talent team, onto the Olympic development program. But then when 
I applied for the academy. Everyone had to apply. I got told that I wasn't good enough. You're never going to make it as a cyclist. Two years in a row. So I actually applied for, for two years, which is the amount of time you can you can apply for. And both times got told by British Cycling, um, essentially, you're not good enough and you're, not, and you're never going to make it. And I, do you know what? I don't really know what kept me going. I think I just had this inner drive that I wanted to be Olympic and world champion and I had the support network and that was absolutely paramount key to my success the support of my parents at the time that who were willing to keep supporting me um even though you know the national body was telling me that I wasn't going to make it and wasn't good enough that kept me going um and Matt's dad actually Courtney Rose started coaching me in um 2010 and I got actually had glandular fever so it's another knock back and I remember when I uh, recovered from glandular fever I had about six weeks left in the national championships and the nationals was where you could go and compete against the girls who were in the system and try and get you get yourself back in or yeah for my case get myself back in and I remember I was training just like an animal, like three times a day, trying to trick my body into thinking there was more days in the week and just put absolutely everything into this last kind of six weeks that I had up to the Nationals. And I went to the Nationals in Manchester and meddled in every event that I rode. And that was when, I think about a week later, Paul Manning, who's the women's endurance coach for British Cycling for the podium programme, emailed me and said, uh, did I want to come up to Manchester to try out for the team suit? And the team suit was what they would, you know, they were putting all their eggs into the basket of team suit when it came to the Olympics. It was the most controlled event. So I was driving up from Southampton to Manchester every week, um, staying in the Holiday Inn and, you know, riding with. So it's 13 girls that started on the the journey to the Olympics. And I was the only one that was not on the programme, wasn't being you know, paid, wasn't being supported in that way. Um, and then was obviously one of three to ride in the Olympics. And it all happened so, so quickly. I remember again, um, kind of going off tangent a bit, but just going up to Manchester and thinking, I've just got to try and do, or just do the best that I can in every session. And wherever I get to on this journey, I've got to be proud of. And amazingly, it was it was the Olympics. So, um, so yeah, going back to the, the resilience, that was a big key moment for me. Obviously, you know, I was told by, and actually quite interestingly, I won't name the the coach at the time, but when I um, competed in, it was actually the under 23 Europeans and I medaled in the Omnium and we won the team suit. The, the guy that told me I wasn't going to be good enough um, actually apologized to me, which I thought was actually really powerful and, good of him to do that and it just shows it's a real lesson I think for young young kids and it's something I always try and tell them you you don't have to be the best when you're young to to make it as you know an Olympic champion world champion whatever it is that you're striving to do and also not just that but just because someone tells you you're not good enough doesn't mean that you're not going to be and if you want it that much and you've got that support that you definitely do need then you know you can do it. So yeah, resilience is a big one for me. Obviously I had a, a really bad crash as well in 2014 where I was on the road riding, just training uh, with a group and someone in front of me hit a pothole, went over the handlebars. And initially when I hit the floor, I thought, I think as a cyclist, you kind of think, have I broken anything quite quick? Like, do I feel okay? Try and move. It must have literally been about half a second um, initially when I felt okay. And then all of a sudden, someone rode straight into my back. And um, this guy happened to be about 110 kilos, ex-rugby player. So that impact going into my ribs just basically broke. Well, I broke, had 10 fractures, um, broke eight ribs, um, punched my lung and ended up in intensive care. So... I remember when I hit the floor or when I'd done the damage, I said, I'm never, ever riding a bike ever again. And it was crazy. In the hospital, I got the physio in the hospital to bring me like 
I don't know, it must have been like an ancient set of pedals. Where, and I remember sitting in the hospital bed, literally like pedaling my feet with my slippers on. And then I made him take me down to the gym. I had a chest drain in my, my ribs with like blood coming out of it on the bike in the gym downstairs in the hospital. So that didn't obviously last long. And I think I actually was looking back on my Instagram a few weeks ago because um, one of my good friends is a chiropractor and she wanted to see the picture of my ribs and I, and I couldn't find it. And I thought, oh, I think I posted it actually. And I posted it and I think it was something, it was, I, I think the post said six weeks ago, I broke 10 ribs and today I rode hundred K um, 100 kilometers on the bike so it didn't actually take me too long to get back but again it's just these sort of I guess times that yeah made me made me super resilient and um, yeah I guess the rider that I, I turned out to be. Yeah absolutely and your career and the things you've just spoken about there are such an incredible lesson for all of us to never give up basically that crash just sounds so savage uh, I remember reading about it at the time and thinking, oh my God, and actually I don't mean to sort of overemphasize this, but you were almost lucky to be alive. Like it was really quite a terrifying crash. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was It was really scary looking back. I don't think I realized how um, bad it was as well at the time. I was on the road for an hour because on the face of it, I was okay. And there was a few other riders with head injuries although no one actually stayed in hospital overnight apart from me who was in for a few weeks um I think the scariest thing was obviously the punctured lung but also that two of my ribs were broken in two places so essentially if that bit of bone had become dislodged um I remember them saying to me then I would have had like a 50% chance of living I said oh how common or how likely would that have been for that bit of bone to you know, become dislodged and essentially be floating around. And they said, oh yeah, well, if you'd sneezed or, or you know, done a really hard cough or something like this, is obviously a couple of weeks down the line once they'd knitted back together a bit. Um, but they did, thankfully they didn't tell me that when I was in intensive care. Um, but yeah, I had so much support and, and help and I recovered really quickly. Uh, I think that was due to me being you know, so fit and healthy um, at the time. But yeah, I, I was very, very lucky. It's an incredible story now, at least, for us to look back on. Can you remember how much pain you were in? Oh, yeah, a lot. But nothing like childbirth, that's for sure. <laughs> I was about to say um, that we've managed to get through an hour of chatting and you've not been called away at all to attend to a, a crying Ted. Is, how is he sleeping? We are very lucky. He sleeps very well. <laughs> Yeah, he's um he's pretty much sleeping through the night now, um, which is yeah pretty pretty cool at six months. We went through a really bad patch. Don't get me wrong, where he was waking up every hour, and I was drinking a lot of coffee. Um, but no, he's he's a dream. Do you think actually that kind of I don't know this is a random question, and I've never given birth, I must say, but do you think the the pain and the um, determination and the sort of I don't know, the, all the training you've done, how fit you became as an athlete, prepared you in any way for childbirth? Yeah, it did. Although it's no comparison to anything, it definitely did because I, I guess, could use that sort of process to, to try and get through the pain and know that it was going to be over. I remember, again, talking about Steve Peters, he used to say, you know, that yeah this pain isn't going to last for forever and you'll be dancing in a minute he used to say but and it is almost the same with childbirth going through that process although at the time I thought it was never ending and it was so so long I knew at the end of it that I was gonna you know have a baby and it was going to be worth it and, and worth that pain and I think I just trusted the professionals as well um I remember I think Matt, I was like delirious. I was going in and out of consciousness. It was so bad. And I remember, but I remember Matt saying at the time, is this normal? I could, I could kind of hear him when I was in the pool with my gas, sucking on my gas and air. He was like saying to them, is this normal? And they said, yeah, this is textbook. This is normal. And I remember thinking that or, or listening to that and thinking, okay, you know, it's all going, it's fine. Although, yeah, it really does hurt. It is normal. And I, and that, that did help me a lot. But yeah, my, 
my fitness especially and I was lucky enough to be able to uh, exercise throughout my pregnancy for sure that helped the labour for sure that really really helped with with my recovery um you know it's, it's brutal giving birth <laughs> it really is and it takes a lot as well a big toll on your body not just labour but you know nine months of, of pregnancy as well so yeah I feel grateful that I did have that kind of fitness to, to help me through Oh, Danny, thank you so much for sharing so many of your valuable lessons that you've learned. They've, they've all been incredible. This has been such an enlightening, lovely conversation. Thank you so, so much. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Does it feel like therapy? I feel like we've had a little therapy session together. No, yeah, no, it's been nice. It's been nice to reminisce as well. Um, crazily, I haven't actually ridden my bike on the road for over a year. Can you believe that? Really? Wow. And is, is, that, is that due to pregnancy that you made that decision yeah, I personally made, yeah, I personally made the decision um, not to ride my bike on the road. Um, and again, yeah, it's, it's just an, a personal decision that I that I made. And, and I use Zwift and I really enjoy riding indoors. That, that didn't matter to me. I could still get that buzz. I never really wanted to do or could really do more than an hour anyway. So for me, with you know time efficiency-wise, I, I was still running a bit on the road until I was about 20 weeks pregnant. Um, but I decided to do a lot of my riding indoors. And then since having Ted, it's just the time. Again, you know, and also the weather. You know, I'm a fair weather cyclist nowadays, so I'm, I'm looking forward to going out in shorts but obviously riding indoors it's just so easy to just you know whack your shorts sports bra on jump on the turbo and you can be do a good session and be done within an hour it's such a faff to get <laughs> to get out on the road these days so I'm I sure I will be out but um, I haven't been out for a long time it really is it's almost like half the session it's just getting your bloody foot warmers on and arm warmers <laughs> on and you know the four layers and all of that it's just a nightmare you very much earn the luxury of being a fair weather cyclist now don't worry <laughs> you're good oh danny thank you so much for the time tonight to talk to me um and hopefully see you soon somewhere in the world when everything's a bit more normal yeah i hope so thanks for having me thank you Oh, I really loved that chat with Danny, and her lessons were so valuable and she explained them as well with such awareness and insight. I really hope you also took a lot from our conversation. That's it for today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review for the podcast as well. Lessons Learned is out weekly this series, dropping every Monday. So I'll be back next time with another brilliant guest from the world of sport to reflect on the lessons we learn in every human experience. Until then, take care and see you soon.